Hey guys, what's up? It is week 144. <clears throat> and to start this off, I want to talk about uh, an episode of Fresh Cuts I did, which is a podcast on the Horphilia Network. I guest on it. Um, it's run by Mike Merriman and Mr. Venom, or Jerry Cortez. These guys have done the show for a long time. They cover new releases. I actually guested on it, like I said, along with Dave Z from Exploding Heads. He was a guest on it as well. So if you're interested in that, I'll put a link below so you can check it out. It's a cool podcast. They're cool guys, and I enjoyed myself. We covered Gretel and Hansel, which which I covered last week. So if you're interested in that, go ahead. Uh, the link will be below. Let's start this out with a classic um, sex comedy from Synapse Films. This is Hot Dog from 1984. And I gotta let you guys know, um, sex comedies are not my strong point. I, you know, I was more of a horror kid growing up, sci-fi kid, action, war stuff kind of deal. So uh, I didn't watch a lot of sex comedies. I am familiar with stuff like Revenge of the Nerds and seen bits and pieces of a lot of the other ones. So, you know, I expected it to be, you know, pretty P uh, on PC, and it is. But while watching this, I felt like there was a nice little flair, uh, a nice little bit more nicer humor or nicer touch to it than some of the other ones I had scene less rapey i guess that's the word what i'm looking for still a little rapey but less rapey and uh so what we have here is a classic kind of 80s trope uh where you know the bad guy it's a ski movie which i remember from better off dead and some other things but uh, i know it's been parodied and things as well but for some reason sports and sex comedies or sports and comedy goes well together and it's just kind of a staple of these 80s movies so what we have here is this farm boy who's on his way uh, to compete in the skiing competition. It's, it's very, you know, the best of the best of the best are in this thing. He ends up picking a hitchhiker on the way. Uh, they start with a shaky relationship, but of course they get along. She is 17 years old and there's definitely some sexual tension between them. He is pretty young too, but he's of age. So right there, you're kind of like, ooh, you know, but that's uh, definitely a product of its time. They get to where they're going. They meet some uh, cool people that are their friends. Dave Naughton from American Werewolf and London. He's excellent in this movie. He's one of these guys, every time I see him pop up, whether it's Brutal uh, uh, Massacre of Comedy or American War in London or this, I always think, man, I wish that guy was in more movies because he always is, you know, the highlight of them. He's great. He's charming. He's funny. And uh, this is, he's great in this one, like I said. So, and they meet some baddies. Uh, I believe the group of Austrian skiers are assholes. They're supposed to be the best. They're just, you know, pretentious dickhead foreign baddies from the 80s that you would know from any, you know, sports movie or anything like that. So, of course, uh, hijinks and shenanigans ensue, them playing pranks on each other, tons of sex, crazy parties. And can you even have one of these movies without these kind of party deals or whatnot? I think that every 80s movie has a crazy party scene in it, and they're pretty much all the same party scene. You know, every once in a while, they turn into like almost like half-naked orgies. But it's here. It's funny. Uh, the pranks involve, you know, throwing snowballs and all sorts of silly stuff like that. There's some over-the-top ridiculous characters, and they almost are more concerned with getting laid than actually skiing. Uh, of course, it comes down to a big, you know, competition, uh, which is, is very much like all these kind of movies. At the end, it's like they're they're kind of Olympics. There's some actual real skiing going on. I'm sure they have stunt doubles. I'm sure like Dave Naughton and the lead here. Maybe the lead actually was a skier because I've never seen him before. So why not just hire skiers at that point? So. Um, 
so basically, you know, when it, when they're actually skiing, you can see them, these professionals going and they're doing all these flips and it's actually really well done shot fairly nice as well. Um, the competition, like I said, is fun to watch and it comes down to one awesome game. You know, what's going to happen. Uh, it's funny. It's quirky. It's entertaining. There is tons and tons of nudity. Uh, there's full muffin here, which kind of surprised me. I was like, man, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like that, that's not even in the eighties. Like I, this is not rated producers cut. I don't know if it's different from the original cut but you know from a, a fairly mainstream popular movie it is a cult classic but still you see that and you're like whoa wow i know revenge of nerds had it too and i remember that being kind of like you know when i first saw that i was kind of shocked although i know that these are on pc they can be enjoyable and this one is enjoyable it is fun synapse did a great job cleaning this thing up the sounds good you know there's there's music in here that gets stuck in your head very fairly memorable one song i think keeps playing over and over again in the movie if i'm not mistaken uh yeah it definitely does and there's a 50 minute making of which is also great with dave naughton um the guy who plays the baddie the producer i even think is the director on here as well but they talk about some of the things getting crazy on set like at one point, the wet t-shirt competition just kind of, it seemed spontaneous and actually just all these girls had wet t-shirts and the, the cast ran in there and started, and it, it just looks like chaos and it looks like uh, there was a lot of fun and maybe some, uh, you know, questionable things happening behind the set, um, behind the scenes, I guess I'll say. But regardless, uh, Synapse did a great job with this movie and I enjoyed it. You know, like I said, this is not something that I dislike or particularly like. It's just something that I'm not as familiar with as I probably should be, but I like, usually like them when I see them. Uh, this one was one of the better ones for sure. And I feel like it was a little easier to swallow for people that are going to be offended by this kind of stuff. Um, I still love Revenge of Nerds. I understand um, its problems and everything like that. And anybody that takes these kind of movies as, you know, the Bible to try to have, or like that, the, the guidelines to try to get laid or something like that is probably mentally deficient. So, uh, yeah, hot dog, good stuff. They're fast. They're fun loving. They're fearless. They're nuts. Catching it. By day, they're the finest hot-dogging, freestyle skiers in the world. By night, they really take chances. You busy for dinner? Now that's a girl I can take advantage of. This is the motion picture comedy that's proud to go downhill fast. The movie that defies the forces of gravity. Sanity. And good taste. Hot Dog, the movie. Experience all the ducking, flipping, turning, chugging, jumping, sliding, gliding, speeding action you can take. And that's just in the hot tub. Oh, boy. Gasp at stunts. Only a team of world-class madmen would dare to attempt. The dreaded Chinese downhill. The greatest challenge of all, Playboy's Playmate of the Year, 
Shannon Tweed. Thank you. It's the fastest, hottest, feet in the air, head in the hot tub comedy of the long, cold winter. So grab your poles and kiss your buns goodbye. It's Hot Dog, the movie. Okay, we have another one from VCI Entertainment here, and this is called Even the Wind is Afraid. And this is a Mexican horror film, which is kind of crazy that this just was released because I had heard about it a little bit ago on the Shockwaves podcast. Um, the director of Tigers Are Not Afraid was talking about it. She's a Mexican horror director, and she was just talking about this movie. And I had vaguely might have heard about it, and then I was like, oh, wow, it's actually coming out. This was made in, did I mention, 1968, so it's pretty early in, you know, the kind of horror films or more modern kind of films, you know, kind of that take, I believe. It feels definitely like... Uh, uh, a Euro horror movie or something like that. Uh, it takes place in a strict girl's school, which immediately made me think of stuff like Naked You Die or Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitorium. It's very, you know, typical setting for a horror film, especially, you know, uh, a giallo or something of that nature. Uh, but this one isn't really a giallo, and the way that the Mexican horror culture handles ghosts is a bit different if you've ever seen Del Toro stuff or anything like that. So, like I said, there's a group of girls, and, and the title uh, plays into the movie. The the way they use wind is actually tremendous. Uh, I love the sound design in here. I think it's really solid. The movie is a bit slow. It is a 68 movie. It is a ghost story kind of deal, so it, it definitely has that kind of, you know... Uh, pacing, but there's nothing wrong with that, to be honest. You know, it's definitely a product of its time, though. So we have this uh, girl, I believe it's Claudia, and she starts to have these kind of horrific nightmares of somebody hanging themselves. The opening is really kind of intense for the time, the way she sits up in bed, and you see the shadow of the legs and the head, and you're like, oh, you see the feet, and then the shadow on the wall, and it's just really well done. But uh, the nightmares start to affect her, and all the girls start to kind of feel weird and strange, and strange things start to happen. And they, a bunch of them are punished and have to stay there for vacation. So they basically slim down the cast. So there's seven girls here, including a snitch that's staying behind, uh, the headmistress, and another teacher who's more sympathetic with the children. They're all kind of stuck back at the school. And there's this bell tower, which is always kept locked by the gardener. But mysteriously, it's unlocked. And they keep seeing a girl in the tower and everything like that. And uh, as the story starts to unfold, you realize that the headmistress is somehow involved with uh, all this stuff and and a kind of a weird sad history and everything like that without giving too much away but you know a lot of ghosts are there for a reason and I'll leave it at that uh, um, the, like I said atmosphere is great uh, acting's fairly solid the headmistress is really good baddie in here I wanted to strangle her so bad her character is a lot like the character from Lust for a Vampire who also runs a girl's school who wants to turn an eye but she's more stern about it she doesn't seem unsure of herself she seems completely sure of herself and that everybody else she's just very um, authoritative authoritarian and annoying and ridiculous and very the Louise Fletcher like uh, from Nurse Ratchet from Mum of the Cuckoo's Nest. I couldn't stand her in this movie. Um, but, you know, she gets uh, her just desserts in the film. Uh, but I do think it's probably a very important movie for Mexican horror films. It's well made. It's has a good story. It's creepy. Um, and the wind is used to full effect. I enjoyed it. The nightmares come into play. They're not these kind of just thrown in nightmare sequences. They're almost premonitions. Uh, so I would recommend checking this one out. The print doesn't look great. It looks okay. Some stuff looks worse 
worse than others. I imagine this is kind of a beat up print. I'm not sure if it's been remastered or where it comes from or what, what's up with the elements. There's no real special features on the disc. That's kind of a bummer, but there is subtitles. So if you are interested in checking this one out, if you're interested in horror films uh, from that time, I, I would highly recommend checking this out. Or if you're interested in girls in school kind of horror films, I think this one is a great uh, starting point or something that you could compare to a lot of other movies from the 60s. Like I said, Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitorium, Naked You Die, um, Lust for the Vampire, which was 71. But still, it feels kind of like in that same kind of ballpark. But good stuff on um, Even the Wind is Afraid. Great title. Este es el lugar que yo soñé. Que quede bien entendido, doctor. En esta institución no hay privilegios para nadie. Esa muchacha está al borde de una crisis nerviosa. ¿Es verdad eso? ¿Que van a quedarse aquí en las vacaciones? Sí, eso dijo. Es una injusticia. Estoy muy preocupada por ustedes. ¿Verdad que nos va a ayudar, señor? Lo que tengo es miedo. Un miedo terrible de que aquello volviera a suceder. Aquello fue una desgracia, un accidente. No es verdad. Okay, guys, the next one is uh, The Shed from, it is RLJ uh, Entertainment, and this is from the producers of Saw. Don't you always love when they put those things on there? But uh, this stars Timothy Bottoms and Frank Whaley. Uh, basically, what we have here is kind of a teenage angsty kind of starting off story. We have this teenager who kind of is like, I guess, poor white trash, lives in a kind of a rural place, kind of an outcast. His parents had both died. They seem like lovely people. He has to go live with his abusive grandfather, played by Timothy Bottoms, um, from Invaders from Mars and The Last Picture Show. So what happens is, fairly quick, right in the opening of this movie, um, somebody's attacked by a vampire in the woods, and they have to take uh, um, kind of the, the sun is rising at the time. It's Frank Whaley from Pulp Fiction and Little Monsters. And the son is attacking him, you know, hitting him, so he wraps himself in a blanket and runs in the shed. And then that's when we cut to our teenage angst kind of deal kid. So after that, we realize this kid's got trouble at school. He has an even weirder best friend. There's bullies. There's girl issues. He's having these weird nightmares that kind of, kind of are talking to him almost like um, and at first you think okay we're doing these really corny nightmare sequences but actually if you think about it it has something to do with the presence of what's in the shed and it could be calling to him is what you're starting to think or it could be a premonition I would say a little bit of both kind of in this or it can work as both and when I, I heard the plot of this one we have is like this bullied kid I'm like is this going to be something like the pit where the kid lures all his enemies to this pit and feeds them to these troglodytes that are in the ground or is it going to be something like dead girl where we have, you know, that kind of element where the kids lead people they don't like to. So I was thinking it's going to be a cross of that. It's a little bit different, and the ending actually feels like kind of a vampire siege movie, like the Lost Boys ending, which I love. So I thought this was fairly well done. Some of the music popping up reminded me when I was a little younger and stuff, listening to that kind of stuff, like I said, or hearing that kind of stuff on the radio, and you're like, oh, that kind of, you know, is like really 
dating him in, in a way that is actually positive because you kind of get into his mindset a little bit and sometimes that doesn't work for me uh the acting i think is is okay uh, i do think that timothy bottoms is, he's all right frank whaley's pretty solid in it um it's not amazing acting but it's not horrible either it, it suffices and does a decent job there's no uh i don't think there's anybody who's tremendously a great standout a lot of the kills you know it's bringing them to the shed so there's some you know off-screen kills here and there but when they do show the gory gooey stuff it, it's decent um there's a nasty arm rip which is actually a really solid uh effect and there's more kills than you would expect in something like this uh there's some relationship stuff between the friends and between the girl and there's a decent siege at the end so all in all it's a it's a pretty uh it's above average horror film uh it looks like it's made on a budget but also how many vampire movies do you know that are bright in the sun besides something maybe like near dark or you know the karstein trilogy where there's tons of activity in the sun and it involves vampire so that's kind of cool enjoyable liked it i would recommend checking it out it looks pretty good no uh complaints on the no uh, the sound or the visuals um the audio and video quality on it they did a pretty good job there's no features on the disc which is unfortunate maybe i would like to see a making of or something like that behind the scenes because you know it's an independent movie i'd like to see how maybe they pulled some of the resources how the director director or anything like that but um all in all it's a it's a decent release from uh you know it's not too expensive so if this sounds like it's up your alley it's worth picking up for sure that's called the shed people judge you here not for who you are but who you hang out with <laughs> see if we can ask roxy out again or are you just gonna spank one out to her every day till graduation if it makes my life a little easier to hang out with one crowd over the other i'm gonna do what i have to do till i'm out of here Remember one thing, though. You're having my sloppy seconds. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, one day they're going to go too far and they're going to be sorry. <laughs> I thought I could handle this all on my own. Hey, what happened to your face? I have to tell you something. There's something in the shed. He wants to kill me. Are you kidding me? Tom, I swear to God, there's something inside. All right, then show me. Let me see your pet monster. Dude, don't you see what this means? We can use this. This is power. What? Nobody's ever going to mess with us again. Are you crazy? Think about it. It's not murder. It's payback. This is not a gift or a weapon. Dangerous. I'm supposed to be your best friend. Look what they did to me this time. What the hell is happening? Dumbo, what's inside that shed? Get in. What's inside that shed? Okay, the next one we have here is from Epic Pictures, and this is The Wave. Yeah, uh, this stars, uh, is it Donald Fazon from Scrubs and, of course, Justin Long. So it's And Bill Sage, which I also noticed in here. Some other familiar faces. So it's got a decent uh, cast, nice cast. Justin Long's always been solid. Donald Fazon, uh, is it Fazon or Fazon? I'm, I don't want to keep saying his name wrong. He's always really funny. And those two have great chemistry in this movie. This is uh, about uh, kind of in a... a, a kind of a high stress job kind of guy he doesn't really have a great life he doesn't ever takes chances he lives with this kind of spoiled wife his best friend is uh donald fazan he works with him 
And uh, yeah, so basically that's it. He is a, a lawyer that works for this and looks through insurance uh, claims and makes sure everything's up to line. And want and if he finds something wrong, he can deny him. He finds this huge um, mess up in an insurance claim that's going to be a payout of $4 million. And uh, pretty much after that, he, he is going to do well for the company and they're going to love him for it. So, But he knows it's kind of a shitty thing to do deep down inside. His friend convinces him after he has kind of a, a miserable time with his wife to come out uh, the day before his big uh, you know meeting and to explain all this to everybody and go out for a night of partying. He ends up, they, those two end up meeting a couple girls, go back to a small party, and he does some weird psychedelic drug that completely messes up his head. Actually, he's given it uh, given the drug to by a guy named Tommy Flanagan, an actor who's in Braveheart and a bunch of stuff. I believe he's in Sin City as well. I didn't even recognize him in this one. But uh, essentially what happens is he kind of starts tripping out and it affects time. Now, when you're dealing with time travel movies... Um, Let's be honest, it's really hard to buy any of it, uh, so you have to be in uh, uh, in the ride from the beginning or just forget it, because time travel doesn't really make any sense in movies, so hey, whatever. And this one had me in, so I, I have no real complaints about it. It was fun, it was entertaining. There's lots of great dialogue, like I said, between the two the two friends. Uh, made me laugh quite a bit, but essentially what happens is it leads him down all these trails and paths, and he starts jumping through time, and uh, it leads to something where he can figure out things. But he also starts to people for who they are at times, especially some of his old co-workers like Bill Sage, who is an awful, uh, awful person. And there's a really funny kind of intense scene at the boardroom. But all in all, there's there's quite uh, some cool, funny things going on here. I enjoyed it. Um, Justin Long gives a solid performance, and uh, everybody does well in it. It's funny. It's entertaining. And it is kind of a head trip. And again, justifying time travel doesn't necessarily make 100% sense, so you got to let some things slide. But it comes together, and I think it works. I enjoyed it. Uh, it looks pretty good. Sounds pretty good. They do some weird kind of effects over, you know, like filters and everything like that. I'm not sure 100% how I felt about that. Sometimes I like them, sometimes I'm iffy on them, but uh, it was okay uh, with that stuff. But anyways, I enjoyed it. I think it's pretty good. There's some special features on here. I, there's a commentary and then some small little featurettes, some bloopers, which are kind of funny. So I recommend checking this one out if it sounds like it's up your alley. Kind of a sci-fi, I guess, I guess you'd say stoner comedy kind of deal. But uh, yeah, the wave, cool stuff. Have you ever woken up from a dream so real that for a moment you can't remember where you are? This is a lot like that. 16 years. That's more than a third of my life leading up to this moment right here. You found a discrepancy. I found a misrepresentation. Holy, that's one hell of a payout. We should celebrate. Let's go out. So, what do you do? Uh, I'm an attorney. Why, do you like a public defender? Cold corporate faceless guy. All the way. Really? I feel like people keep looking at me weird. Oh, they're just wondering why I brought my dad. <laughs> so who's going to go first? Okay. How long till this stuff is supposed to kick in? It's going to hit you like a wave. You took drugs from a complete stranger. That's it. I don't know what happened. You all right? We need to find the guy from the party. We need to find right now. Give me back my drugs! The universe is trying to tell you something. Pay attention. You still think you're on drugs? The universe knows what it wants. Balance. 
fighting that just throw your life into chaos. You're almost there. You're going to make this right. That's a twist. Okay, this next one is from Mill Creek Entertainment, and this is Hudson Hawk. Yeah. Um, you know what? This is a hated movie by everybody. But when you're five, six years old, and you and your family are watching this thing all the time, I loved it. I didn't know any better about Hudson Hawk, okay? I wasn't, you know, of age to where I could hear the critics tell everyone it sucks, so they just said, oh, this movie sucks. I guess it sucks. So I feel like that does happen. Like, the critics hate it, so everybody else just assumes it's a turd and hate it as well. But when you're young, you don't have that. Uh, Hudson Hawk is an action comedy, almost like it would be almost a superhero kind of style movie because it's so ridiculous. Slapstick, weird movie, but also violent at times. Bruce Willis stars as Hudson Hawk. He's a cat burglar who was, uh, you know, set up and sent to prison. Uh, on his way out of prison, his uh, PO wants to get him to do another job uh, for these two uh, uh, Italian mob bosses, one played by Frank Stallone, the Mario Brothers. So they want him to pull this job off. His buddy, uh, Danny Aiello, uh, plays Tommy Two-Tone, who is like his best friend, picks him up and everything like that. And uh, so basically these guys are forced into doing these cat, this cat burglar job. And uh, pretty soon they realize that they're in over their heads. They're not just robbing for this P.O. or the Mario Brothers. They're not robbing. Uh, there's some weird guy in a giant conspiracy or uh, to invent Da Vinci's gold machine run by these two billionaire assholes played by Sandra Bernhardt and Richard Grant, which are great, uh, the Mayflowers. And the CIA is involved. The Vatican is involved, which is led by an agent, Annie McDowell. She's also great in it. The cast is tremendous in this movie. The CIA guys are all named by candy bars and they're led by James Colburn. Tremendous, very funny performance. Uh, also, the guy who plays Butterfingers played Leatherface and Zangief. So he's been in tons of movies. Uh, a very memorable guy. Don Harvey and David Caruso are also part of the Candy Bars. The cast is endless, to be honest. The bad guys are very fun. They're very hilarious. The slapstick stuff works for me. I cry. Bruce Willis is in his prime, if you ask me. He is funny. He is witty. He delivers the one-liners perfect. His faces are just embedded in my head. This is probably at the time when Bruce Willis is like my favorite actor. The way he delivers his lines, the, some of the stuff he says, is just... Um um, at one point, one of my favorite parts in the movie is the candy bars are all introducing themselves to Bruce Willis, and every time they're introduced, they do something. They hit him or something like that, and they all get through it, and then all of a sudden, they're at like a construction site. That's where he landed, um, and the, <laughs> the, the, the porta potty opens, and Butterfingers walks out, and if you guys know this guy, he's a bodybuilder. He's huge, and he has a mullet, and he just looks like an idiot, and uh, everybody delivered their name, and he says, Name's Butterfingers, and Bruce Willis says, Yeah, no shit. No shit. He says no shit like that. And I still say no shit like that to this day because of that. When somebody tells me something really obvious or really off the wall, I say no shit. 
and uh, that's because Bruce Willis that and that embedded in my head. Um, another uh, Danny Aiello and Bruce Willis have a great back and forth. The things they say to each other, constantly picking on each other. Uh, Bruce Willis making fun of his weight. Um, it's just a really quirky, funny, uh, zany movie. Um, I absolutely love that they keep track of time when they're doing the cat burglaries or the the, the theft. They sing songs, so they got Danny Aiello and Bruce Willis. I think it's actually their singing voices singing stuff like side by side or um, uh, a fish is an animal that lives in a brook. It doesn't. They just sing the songs while they're going, and it's such memorable stuff. The bad guys, like I said, are great, and it almost plays like a, um, a video game. You're going to the le- levels of fighting these guys, like the Mario Brothers and the CIA guys and stuff like that. So I just love the movie. Uh, Butterfingers cracks me up. Everything he says is great. Um, uh, James Colbert's last line in the film has me in tears. I laugh every time. Um, and it just ends on such a sweet note that you say, that's bullshit, that wouldn't happen, but this movie allows it to happen. It also, like I said, involves Leonardo da Vinci in the past. It's just a lovely uh, movie, and I know people are like, it's too stupid, it's too zany, it's too weird, and it's just like, I eat it up, I love it, I think it's funny. Um, I just can't get enough of it, you know. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. I don't care if people dislike it. I love the damn thing. I saw it at the perfect time. I still think it's a good movie. If somebody said that's just nostalgia, I would disagree with them. I don't understand why they don't like it. Uh, people just say ridiculous things like, it's just stupid. It's stupid. Okay, fine, it's stupid. It's supposed to be. I mean, so is the Three Stooges, and it, Three Stooges are brilliant, you know. I like um, Hudson Hawk. It might be... My people, some people might say it's messy or tonally it doesn't fit, but tonally for me, it, it fits. You know, there's violence within the goofiness, which might put people off, but love the cast, love the performances, love how it unfolds. Uh, the, the weirdest part about the whole movie is that the Vatican is almost like a weird kind of uh, uh, intelligence agency at the same time as like the CIA is too, but love it. Great cast. Uh, one of my favorites. Uh, the print actually looked really good, too. Uh, actually, for the first time, I noticed makeup on Leonardo da Vinci, which um, I didn't notice but before. So it looks good. It sounds good. No special features, but um, it, it's a great movie, and it, they did a good job cleaning it up. I don't know if this is an old print uh, from the old disc that was on with Hollywood. Um, Hollywood, the one with Harrison Ford, it was a double disc. I don't know if this is a new print, but it looks really good. I just got out of jail yesterday. I didn't want to steal anything. I didn't want to go to Europe. All I wanted was a cappuccino. You still think you're the greatest cat burglar I've ever lived? You are one hell of a thief. Hudson Hawk is an evil, evil man. I'm just some guy that's good at swiping stuff. Eddie, we're hanging off a castle in the middle of Italy, and you're asking me how you look? Okay, okay, you don't gotta get tangled about it. Look gorgeous, you look like a Zorro. Well, I didn't know. Buongiorno. Yeah, buongiorno. Maybe you could help me. I'm being blackmailed into robbing the Vatican by a psychotic American corporation and the CIA. I don't, uh... <laughs> you don't speak English? You have very beautiful eyes for a man. I got a bad feeling. I can't even swim. Hell, Paul will probably kill you. Oh, I was afraid you weren't going to drop by. You want to know something, Eddie? What? You hit like a girl! 
Stealing the sports stuff and ended by swiping the codex. Yeah, but what are your plans for the weekend? Posting away the Coliseum? Can't we just go back to the kissing part? Life doesn't get much better than this. Okay, the next one here is a Patreon pick for my boy Jonathan Wilhelm, and he picks Super Hybrid. Um, this is actually uh, made in 2010 and was directed by the guy who did that French uh, prison movie, Maleficent or something. I can't think of its name, but it's like a French prison movie. Really weird, really kind of bonkers. I covered it a while ago. Um, so I was like, I was kind of surprised to see him do that. Uh, the movie stars nobody I recognized except for the guy who plays Ray, the uh, grease monkey kind of runner or operator. He is in stuff like White Chamber and he's in a bunch of other stuff so the plot of this movie is this uh mysterious car gets totaled after killing some people camouflaging changing its weird kind of look and crashing it ends up getting pulled to this garage that is getting uh repaired uh soon so it's all kind of in shambles and there's a very kind of like small little crew there so it gets drug in there and immediately starts to kill people and the kicker is what the car is is absolutely nonsensical and it's probably the biggest selling point to the movie uh it is some sort of weird eel creature that like transforms you know how like a snapping turtle will leave its mouth open so its tongue looks like um or certain turtles do that so its tongue will look like a worm fish flies in bites it it's kind of that deal that this thing will transform to a car so people get in so people put their guard down and then it will attack them and eat them uh when they actually show the eel when it's transforming and stuff, it's CGI. It doesn't look particularly great. There are some decent stunts in the movie, uh, some cool stuff in the garage, cars getting hit. The characters are eh, and a couple of them are really annoying. Uh, you know, Ray is an absolute prick, completely ridiculous, can't stand him. Uh, don't want to hate the character with a passion. I think some of the people act really dumb, to be honest, and I think that the movie would have been a lot shorter if they would have acted like human beings. That's a complaint about many horror movies, so you know I gotta let that slide to a certain extent. Um, a couple of the kills are, eh, a couple of them are decent. You know, I thought a couple of them were pretty over the top and entertaining. I think the way they, they, you know, the pacing's decent, although most of the movie takes place in the garage and I'd say like the last hour they know what's going on and they're trying to stop the car. I do like the idea that the car can transform and I do think it's batshit crazy where they thought, let's make this a transferring eel instead of making it like just an evil car like Christine or something like that. And the plot of this movie just is like, what the fuck? are you thinking to make this a uh, eel car it's kind of funny i wish that the uh thing would have actually started transforming uh, into other things uh, maybe after it picks it's kind of a thing it's limited i don't know um, it doesn't look good when it's exposed like i said it's cgi it's 2010 cgi it looks somewhat like sci-fi channel cgi and the movie's kind of dark to be honest so they kind of cover some of that but a lot of it doesn't work they do attempt to make some character development on some of the characters and i don't hate a lot of them uh there's a couple when they bit it i felt bad i want them to pull through um, one particular scene is actually really well done. Um, and the best character in the movie to me is Gordy. I like it. Um, Ray's character, you think there might be like, he might have a redeeming quality, but he's a piece of shit. <laughs> and I would, it's hard watching these movies as an adult because you start to put yourself in positions like that. And you're like, man, maybe in high school I would have put up with this shit, but not anymore. I'm out of here. And so when you watch horror movies, you think I'm not doing that, you know, but they don't know they're in a horror movie, yada, 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 whatever. I just have a hard time believing that, you know, the character be like, let's strap it, make money. And it's like, come on now. This is that, that thing needs, I'm glad that trope needs to end. 
It's no longer fucking time of King Kong, all right? <laughs> Even though it was a bit different in that situation, they went to the island to get it. They didn't just be attacked by a monster and decide to capture it. Even though I, that happens so much. Blood Beach, it always happens. This is a, it's a trope that's really stupid uh, at this point. But um, I felt the movie was okay. A little subpar, to be honest. Not really my thing. Um, if it would have been all practical I, or made in the 70s or 80s, I'd probably would have been all over it because I'm a goof. Like something like, um, what's that movie, Monster Shark, made in the uh, 80s, 90s or something like that, Lamberto Bava. Like uh, then I'm like, I'm all into it, Octopus Shark. But then when they came out with Sharktopus, I was like, no, it's CGI. I'm that guy. I can't help it. If it's really poor CGI, Animal Attacks movies, I'm not watching it. I'm just not. I, I can't. I feel like those movies are lazy somehow. Some of them are. Some of them are actually good, but I'm not going to be the guy to find it out. Somebody else will have to do that. But uh, Super Hybrid, yeah, it's really weird plot. Makes it maybe a curiosity, but besides that, uh, I, I'd kind of skip it. Um, it is a see. There's a kind of a enclosed area movie, but I didn't really care for it all that much. It's just okay. Nobody could get out of here alive. Doesn't feel metallic. It's got to be a standard part, but it's not. It's almost right till you look really close. Okay, guys, the next one is I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, directed by Osgood Perkins, who did Black Coat's Daughter, and uh, this year's uh, Gretel and Hansel. Um, yeah, I actually hadn't had a chance to watch this one. I had heard a lot of people say it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix exclusive. This is really slow, but uh, half and half, half the people really enjoyed it, half kind of complained that not much happens. I put this in, and right away we have this narration that said, I am uh, 28 years old. My birthday was just four days ago and I will never see 29. And I was already sucked in. I thought the narration and every time she talked or she read the uh, passages from the book were just kind of creepy and unsettling. The plot of this is we have this uh, girl who just went through a serious breakup and she is kind of hired to take care of this old lady who used to be a famous writer. And the house is getting donated to an uh, up-and-coming writer. And the, the old lady's kind of lost her mind a little bit. So she stays in this house and kind of just cleans and takes care of everything. She seems to be 
a little bit, you know, she seems genuinely really nice and sweet, but maybe a little bit sensitive, especially to scary things and unhorrifying things. So she's kind of starts to possibly lose her grip in the house, but it's amplified uh, by the house itself. There's definitely something going on here, a mysterious past, and she starts to kind of look at the books that the uh, the author wrote that she's taken care of, and one's called um, The Woman in the Walls, or The Girl in the Walls, and that kind of sparks her imagination, but you think that there's a possibility that really this is the story that happened in this house in itself. <clears throat> And uh, you kind of see this this uh, entity walking the halls, kind of in a weird slow motion where the feet are backwards and the head's turning and twisting. Generally very creepy and unsettling. Um, the part of the wall, part of the wall starts to show some signs of like some sort of black mold or this mold and everything like that. And that's obviously a symbol for something that happened there previous. I, I think they did that very well. The lead in here is actually tremendous. I actually really liked her um, and I was, I feared for her. She looks great. She has a, uh, a unique unique way of uh, presenting herself. She's a unique character is what I should say. I thought that she was a little bit different. Um, there's not many actors in the movie. There's only like a handful. Um, the guy who actually gets her the job was supposed to take care of the estate is Bob Bobolan or Bobolan or however the hell you say his name directed my boyfriend's back is in a slew of movies. Best in show that kind of comedic actor. He's really good in this. Also had a nice stint in Seinfeld. So he, he, he kind of plays it almost like uh, never smiles as like a, um, a dread about him where he knows something is off with the house and and everything like that it feels like a destined movie like you know fate where this girl she tells you exactly what's going to happen and there's almost no escaping it right in the beginning but some of the passages about the rot and and staring at yourself and losing yourself and stuff is just really genuinely creepy and unsettling um i think it's really great um and it's it's slow but it's so worth your time if you like ghost stories because i'm not a huge ghost story fan to be honest but when they kind of involve psychological stuff and it's not a really cop out ending or a cheesy ending or something like that and it works i really enjoy them and i actually really wasn't kind of enthused by this one i, th I think it's my second favorite after black coat's daughter I, I don't think he's made a bad picture yet and this one i think is a very well made a film uh well acted and everything like that i'd like to see it again because i feel like i might have missed some small details within the story that um because i think there is a explanation for it. i mean it, it's fairly you know i think you could interpret it a couple ways but for the most part it's just kind of a ghost story about you know something happening and i i just like it i think it's unique and cool and different and i like the image of the actual ghost in it too so that is i am the pretty thing that lives in the house uh, good stuff on netflix check it out i have heard myself say the house that holds a memory of a death is the staying place of a rotted ghost My name is Lily. I'm going to be staying with you from now on. I hope that's all right. I am 28 years old. I will never be 29. The pretty thing you are looking at is me. But it is me that still cannot see any of what is coming. see only the drawer that opens. Hello? And the spots that spread. And the terrible book. The woman who wrote it all down. Only the name, her name. Paul? 
cannot see it, even as I look right at it. Okay, you're probably wondering why I'm wearing a different shirt, because this is one of those ones uh, reviews where I, I shot it, but it has to be held to a certain point. So this is After Midnight by uh, Jeremy Gardner. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, you guys know Jeremy Gardner is an actor-director. He made The Battery a few years back, which is an independent zombie film, which is really good. And uh, he's been acting uh, quite a bit lately. He's popped up in stuff like Bliss and all sorts of movies. Uh, yeah, so uh, Mind's Eye. So Jeremy Gardner's follow-up to The Battery um, does it live up to expectations? I'm going to say yes. Um, I actually adored this movie. It also stars Bria Grant and the one and only uh, Henry Zabrowski from Last Podcast on the left. First and foremost, I am a huge fan of Henry Zabrowski. I think his type of humor is one of the best, and I think he is one of the funniest people around. So let's get into this. Uh, Jeremy Gardner is kind of, um, he's a hunter. Uh, he had recently been kind of left by his girlfriend in this giant farmhouse, and he's kind of been isolated. And after midnight, he tells everyone everyone that this creature, this monster kind of attack him in his house. Um, Justin Benson's also a director who did resolution and stuff like that. Um, the endless. So, um, he plays uh, his the brother of his girlfriend and fan, and friend of Jeremy Gardner and a cop, and he doesn't believe him. Henry Zabrowski plays his best friend. Bria Grant plays the girlfriend. So um, nobody really believes him, and everybody starts to think, you start to think, is he losing his sanity? What is going on? There does appear to be evidence of a monster, but you're never 100% sure if there is one. And this uh, film has two kind of storylines going on. We'll have his, his, his um, everyday take, you know, his, his modern time when he's dealing with this monster without his girlfriend and just kind of reliving you know just kind of sitting in his like pity and everything like that and the one will do flashbacks that show him and Bria Grant and kind of their most uh lovely time so it, it's kind of a hard crash you have like so it makes the depressing stuff even more depressing it gives you a, a moment to be inside the character of Jeremy Gardner's head so I think that's very effective the the flashbacks feel like they're even done in a softer light and um there's music in the background sometimes the dialogue is a little bit harder to hear but I think that's done on purpose but um it just kind of warms your heart seeing that and then when we crash back to reality it's kind of depressing but um you know you you really like Jeremy Gardner in the movie and Henry Zabrowski as his friend is perfect he's hilarious he, he goes off on these rants that it sounds like he's on last podcast but um it's it seems I don't know if it's improv or not but it's actually really effective when you actually do see the monster it looks fantastic and I'm not going to spoil the ending or anything like that because this you know is one of these movies it could be a psychological thing or not but the special effects are great when they're there it's not one of these big like kill um count movies or anything like that it's not about that I was very impressed with the wonders in the film there's lots of one uh you know single shots of acting and, and that, that kind of like puts the acting on display for sure especially um there's this great moment where Bria Grant and um Jeremy Gardner have this uh, this kind of like relationship or argument or basically and it, it starts off far away and they're sitting in the doorway the framing's great and it keeps getting closer and closer and eventually it stops and the scene goes on for 15 minutes and it's it's no cuts or anything like that it's one of the strongest performances I've seen in a long time very very well done um, they also do that a couple times here and there but uh, I, I like it the characters are well developed they're well established they're well liked they feel fairly realistic All almost all of them feel very realistic some of them 
less than others, but for the most part, I really like this thing. Um, it got to me. It got it got me emotional. It got me invested, and the ending has a nice payoff. I like the movie. I think it's great. I think Jeremy Gardner is super charming. They do a nice little setup at the beginning that pays off at the end. Um, I love the damn thing. I think it's great. So when it does come out, all the information will be below in the description box and the links and everything like that for you guys to check it out and rent it. Um, VOD is in February, um, mid-February. So make sure you check it out. Uh, support this one because it's damn good. Um, hopefully there's a hard release coming out, like a physical release, because I'd definitely be buying this one and re-watching it. And it is an early contender for a top 10 of 2020. I liked it that much. Um, and you know what? We don't get very many monster movies, and this one is, is different and more so on a relationship. And I've been that kind of sucker for lately. I've been invested in these horror movies that have this like love story at the core, and then I'm sucked into them. And I, I prefer those. I prefer my love stories with like a horror movie, you know, a wraparound or whatever. Regardless, I like when they mix, and they always the, the love stories always work really well for me in that kind of in that way. So um, highly recommended. After Midnight, love the soundtrack too. Just good stuff. Great stuff. Listen, baby, you're gonna have to talk to me sooner or later. You can't just disappear. Ever since you left, some kind of thing's been coming out of the woods every night. I'm going crazy without her. I'm going around town telling people there's a big bad wolf trying to blow our house down. Maybe she got tired of waiting around. She just tell your sister she y'all just come on home. Kitty, kitty, kitty. And I don't hate to say. You see what it did to my door? How do you know, though? I saw it. There ain't one town. Don't have someone saying they've seen something they can't explain. You're right about most things, but you're wrong about one thing. You are enough for me, Abby. Hey! Hell, I'm not entirely convinced it's not you. You like a werewolf or something? Okay, we're going to start our dive into 1985 for this week. I, I think this is, what, the third week of 85 releases? And the first one I'm going to talk about is Larry Cohen's The Stuff. The taste that makes you hungry for more. Uh, I love The Stuff. This is not the first time viewing of The Stuff. I, I saw this young. I think this is a New World Entertainment movie. Uh, so you know what you're kind of getting into. Larry Cohen is a very unique director. He was a writer, a prolific kind of writer. Uh, Larry Cohen's movies are definitely always statements on certain things and the stuff is definitely a statement on big tobacco and you know consumerism and everything like that now when you look at somebody like George Romero how they handle consumerism it's a little bit more serious but Larry Cohen's are always like a riot <laughs> and they're very fun and very entertaining um, what we have here is a great cast we have Michael Moriarty we have Danny Aiello Paul Servino uh, Garrett Morris is in this thing and some nice little cameos by Abe Vigoda and the where's the beef lady so okay the stuff 
this is absolutely ridiculous plot. Um, this is definitely an, a, a blob type story. Like I said, even it has involves consumerism, but what we have here is in the very beginning, this is the most outrageous beginning of any movie I can think of one of them for sure. We have these uh, guys out in kind of a mining area, there's snow. And one guy uh, sees this thing bubbling up this white liquid bubbling up from the snow. It's smoking. And like any person you taste it because what, what burning stuff, you just, you just put it right in your mouth. You don't worry about it. So that's what this idiot does. Maybe it was, com- he was compelled to eat it. I don't know. But regardless, he tastes it. It tastes freaking delicious. He tells his friend to eat it, and the guy says, I'm not eating snow. He tries it. Before, fast forward, we have this stuff in the store called the stuff. It's a white liquid. It's no calories. It doesn't have to be refrigerated. It's delicious, nutritious. You know, everybody's hooked on the shit. Um, the ice cream companies are upset, obviously, so they hire Michael Moriarty, uh, who plays Moke. Uh, Mo, what's his last name? I can't think of it, but he's Mo because he always wants Mo money. Michael Moriarty's great. He's a really unique actor. Very enjoyable in this one. Love him. He is a kind of a espionage, uh, you know, a, pl- a corporate uh, espionage guy. He looks into other companies, digs dirts on him, gets them closed down. This uh, ice cream company hires him or dessert company hires him to find, you know, what is the stuff and try to find some dirt on it, yada, yada, yada. So he starts to dig and, and it leads him to all these places. It leads him to the mining company where it originally was. And something's not right. He starts to talk to the girl who ran the advertising company. And those two start to team up and realize that they got to do something about the stuff because the stuff is, you know, like they say, are you eating it or is it eating you? And what the stuff turns out to be is absolutely ridiculous and absolutely awesome at the same time. Because honestly, if you put yourself in the situation, you'd think, I would have been fucked. I would have actually been screwed by this stuff. I would have eaten it, and I would have loved it, and I would have been completely taken over. So, like I said, part blob story. I didn't say this yet, but it's part blob story, but also it's part invasion of the body snatcher story because you don't know who's who. You know, how much stuff have they consumed? So uh, we have that going on. They team up with Garrett Morris, who was Chocolate Chip Charlie, who ran the original company that found the stuff. They bought him out. They kind of threw him to the side. So he's upset. So all these people are kind of looking into the stuff. There's a kid at the same time. There's a storyline where he saw the stuff move and his family's trying to get him to eat it. He teams up. The um, uh, Michael Moriarty saves him. So all these people team up and uh, they end up uh, asking for the help of some kind of, uh, um, you know, I guess survivalist kind of colonel who's out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, really fun performance by Paul Servino. Excellent. Over the top. And, you know, when you look at Paul Servino, you see stuff like the Brink Shop or Cruising or Goodfellas. And he's kind of this stern, you know, maybe some love in there somewhere, but stern kind of guy that's serious. And this one, he's kind of chewing the scenery and he's, he's wonderful in it. He's like saying all these kind of like uh, politically over the top conservative things. And I love it. He cracks me up. He's just, just a wonderful character and he's chewing the scenery and um, the stuff he says is just, you know, you can tell Larry Cohen is writing it over the top on purpose and he's supposed to be offensive, you know, that kind of character. But the stuff he says, I will allow this colored man to speak. But if he says one word about the commie party line, I will blow his brains out. Just stuff like that. And you're just like, oh, jeez. Like, I spit there, sorry. But it's so over the top that you can't do anything else but laugh. And he's, he's definitely playing into it. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he's playing into it. And it's a really great performance. Danny Aiello is also always um, a treat to see. Um, like I said, he's wonderful in Hudson Hawk. He's also wonderful in this. 
small role in here though but regardless it's a super fun movie and there's just a great just dessert scene at the very ending which is wonderful and a little thing right before the credits that, that fits perfectly i love the stuff i i think that there is some times when it's a little slow and maybe a, um it, it does follow the story though when you're thinking like how'd they get here oh they did this because this a lot of other movies you're thinking how the hell did they get this how the hell did they know this if you pay attention you're like yes yes point a to b to c and it makes sense which is uh, you know larry cohen always kind of writes himself uh, into the next step and always manages to make it smooth it over to where it's you know acceptable so um anyways love the hell out of it there's a nice beefy uh you know making of on here with larry cohen one of the special effects guys some other people involved as well some of the actors in the movie the actress in here who's also really good uh, her name escapes me right now but uh, she's also really good in it i like the movie although some of the special effects are probably even dated for the time but i do like how they make the stuff move it's like a marshmallow fluff kind of thing but anyways uh, a great science fiction horror movie um you know, these paranoid movies, these paranoia movies usually are much scarier. This one is complete fun, and I love it. The stuff, the taste that makes you hungry for more. I love the little trailers they put into uh, the advertising for it. I just like it. It's just fun. It, it brings a smile to my face. Uh, I always love this movie, and I still do. Tonight, America is in grave danger. I kind of like the sight of blood. Well, this is disgusting. So I'm, I probably am terrible to work with, but they seem to really enjoy it. Next thing I knew, I was acting opposite a, a yogurt. So it was very, very enjoyable. It, it changed my life as a filmmaker, and I'm sure this trailer is going to change yours. We're going to tell the public what this stuff can do. I didn't think there was anything that I liked better than ice cream. Okay, the next one in the 85 dive. I'm only going to cover the first one in here, but it is House. Uh, this is a house collection from Arrow. I'm only covering the first one uh, from 85, so don't... I'm going to show you only the first one of the thing. So, yep, uh, House, uh, directed by geez, Steve Miner, who did the Friday 13th Part 2 and 3, produced by Sean Cunningham, and uh, written partially by Fred Decker and some other people. Okay, House. How William Starring William Cat, George Went, uh, who else pops into this one? Yeah, and uh, Richard Mole, who I absolutely love as well. So, uh, this is definitely a horror comedy, and the 80s had quite a bit of horror comedies. We have Return of the Living Dead, 85, I mean. Uh, Return of the Dead, Fright Night, um, Hard Rock Zombies, and of course House. Uh, and the um, two of the previous ones I named are tremendous. House uh, I absolutely love. Um, it mixes horror and comedy right. Um, William Cat is recently divorced from his wife. He is a writer. Um, I think his name's Roger Cobb. And uh, you know he goes back to his aunt's house. She just recently committed suicide. And this is the house where he was raised in. This is the house where him and his wife were at when their child went missing. So the house has a lot of history. 
three. The house is strange and weird. Uh, he goes in there and he starts to look around and he realizes that he wants to stay there for a while. He immediately starts to see weird things involving his kid. And he's also starting to write a book about his Vietnam experience. So he's having flashbacks and reliving that where he was with Richard Mole, who played Big Ben. And uh, so he's reliving that. The house starts to mess with him. And the house is definitely kind of evil entity. The house messes with you and it knows everything about you. So it, it starts to play these weird kind of tricks on you and everything like that. Now you're thinking that sounds very much like a ghost story. And it is, but it also is a monster mash because the people, the creatures that attack him from the house are these awesome kind of zany special effects. And if you watch like the special effects of the 80s, you'll see stuff, you know, like you have your core gags and everything like that. But then when you get to like Ghostbusters, you see these weird kind of monsters. And, and awesome things like Slimer or the Librarian. And then the next year you have House. Um, and you can see where a lot of this crazy, zany, over-the-top, goofy stuff came from with Ghostbusters and then House and then, you know, other things. Uh, we get like um, Big Trouble in Little China the year after that and then Evil Dead Part 2. I feel like all these kind of owe some uh, after owe something to Ghostbusters and House. I, I really do. Um, the special effects team in here is amazing. It's filled with a bunch of up-and-comers and they do some really cool things. And uh, the house also, like I said, it, it plays on your fear. So the stuff that's coming back involves his ex-wife. At one point, there's this creature that's this big, fat little creature. It's excellent running around. Absolutely hilarious. There's these weird kind of like uh, like children monsters. And then there's the, the war demon that's just this big thing in the closet. Reminds me of something from Hellraiser. Remember the, um, what is that thing called? The engineer that runs through, but actually done better. Even though I love Hellraiser, that fact is always a little iffy to me, the weird salamander thing. I still love it, though. But, uh, and also, you know, George went in this movie, God bless George went, you know, he's from cheers. He was mostly a comedian actor before this, but he plays kind of a nosy neighbor with a heart of gold and his performance in here is absolutely one of the best parts of the movie. Um, he's talking to Roger Cobb when they meet and he says, uh, he's like the old bat that used to live here is awful. And he's like, I wouldn't be surprised if someone killed her. And he's like, that was my aunt without skipping a beat. George went says heart of gold though. And for someone her age, looked very good. It just puts me in tears. He's so funny. His comic delivery is on point. He's one of these guys that you don't register how much you love him until you're watching him. And he he's just like everything I've seen him in, he's always great. From bliss to cheers to this to anything, you know. I love the hell out of him. He's a tremendous actor. Very funny in this. Um, and the relationship that he has with William Catt, who's also a very good actor. Very good physical actor, too, is wonderful. I love it. It's probably one of the stronger points in the film. Uh, this movie, like I said, it has its great uh, comedic moments and everything like that and zany moments. It's kind of surprising. It's a rated R, to be honest. Nowadays, it'd probably be a PG-13. Um, the gags are great with the creature under the bag when he's hitting it, talking to somebody. It just makes me laugh hysterically. I just love the hell out of it. The Vietnam stuff I also really like, and it's actually kind of heartfelt. Um, Richard Bull, it's one of his better performances. He's always great, but this one, he's a, he gets to be a little bit more human in here, even though he's, he's Big Ben. He gets this towering guy. He's like 6'8 in Vietnam, and what happens there, it's just it kind of really sad in a way, and of course, you know, if his ex-wife kind of has an apparition monster, so is Big Ben, and Big Ben's is awesome. Uh, he, he's like, he has his own catchphrase, you know, very, you know, this 
kind of stuff reminds me like like Freddy Krueger kind of stuff too. Um, sucker, he always calls him sucker. But anyways, uh, he has to kind of rescue his son and go in this crazy weird house world. There's some really cool paintings that have some great foreshadowing. I just love the movie. Lots of zany weird characters. Lots of cool special effects. I love the hell out of it. Like I said, um, it's one of my favorites. Um, I always liked it as a kid too, and it, it just gets better with age. This is something I would love to show my nephews when they're old enough. I think they would eat it up. I think most people should eat it up. I, I really like it. Great performances and a great ending. I just love the hell out of it. It is kind of heartwarming and sweet at the end, but uh, there's no real complaints about House I have. Um, it is on the budget, a low budget side for a horror movie, I think, but um, they did really well with it. Also a New World movie. And uh, there's a great making of on here um, and a commentary I heard with um, actually has uh, William Cat on there and a bunch of other people. I liked hearing that. And the making of actually has interviews with William Catt and Steve Miner and George Went. So, uh, yeah, they went all out and they got a lot of people. There's also some stuff with the special effects artists on there, too. Some of them had passed. So um, a great beefy making of. I think it might be feature length. I can't remember. But a, a great um, release on the first house, at least. I haven't watched the other ones yet, but I will in the future. But love house. Love the release. Looks great and sounds great, too, because, you know, some of these are a little bit more low budget stuff. But, yeah. One of the things, you know, that I like kind of playing with was the idea, like, if you had something, what would your first instinct to be? In most horror movies, they go running or they set the house on fire. They do something very dramatic. And I just thought, you know, the natural instinct would be to get it on tape to show somebody. Okay, right here we have one from Scream Factory from 1985, and this is Hellhole. I've actually never saw this one. It was kind of a goofy, weird movie that um, I saw part of at one point. But, geez, does this feel late in the women in prison cycle, if you ask me? I feel like it's late. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm associating those more with the 70s Jack Hill stuff, and there was 80s ones. 
But man, is this the sleaze-tastic movie if I've ever seen one. And the very beginning, we have Ray, uh, Sharkly, Sharky, I think his name is. Is it Sharkly or something? I can't remember his name. But he's a ridiculous, greasy guy that strangles this woman who knows about this weird kind of uh, corporate uh, bullshit. She knows something she shouldn't. Think Dark Man. And uh, strangles this uh, poor girl's mother right in front of her. Chases her down. She falls on a construction site, gets amnesia. The person that this killer was working for is the doctor You know that uh, knew the mom and had her killed so he puts her in one of his hospitals so this hospital is ran by Mary Warnoff who's excellent in this movie very um, Louise Fletcher indeed so uh, yeah and I think even the stuff had a mention of Fletcher too which is great they had a Fletcher name uh, the company was called Fletcher or something like that so there's three Louise Fletcher uh, uh, call outs right here for this uh, this week so anyways Mary Warnoff is very evil and very you know sadistic but also has a lesbian side to her because you know it's a women in prison movie and Mary Warnoff has always made to do that kind of stuff. But uh, she's very, you know, uh, nurse ratchet. So she runs this school at, with an, uh, this um, mental facility with an iron fist. Her main guard is Robert Dazar. You know, maniac cop, ridiculous over the top. Richard Cox is in here as an undercover to try to break, you know, corruption and horrible, you know, asylum, you know, things in here. Kind of like uh, uh, Geraldo Rivera with the thing. He's trying to break a case here to uh, sell to the uh, uh, commissioner or whatever like that. Richard Cox is in stuff like Cruisin', so you'll recognize him. He plays the, uh, the last guy that Al Pacino has a run-in with. I'll leave it at that. But, um, yeah, so basically this movie is absolutely ridiculous. There's uh, Diane Thorne's in here as well. There's lots of nudity, lots of full frontal, which kind of surprised me. Uh, mud baths, nude mud baths, lesbianism, girls fighting with their shirts off. Uh, so other, I love that kind of stuff. It's just, it's so sleazy. It makes me laugh. I'm like, I can't believe they're doing this. It just, I just get a chuckle out of it. It's very enjoyable. <laughs> I like these movies because there's so many women in prison movies that are actually very dull or just very so like gross. This one is gross, but it's also silly, and I just love it. And Mary Warnoff is chewing the scenery. I forgot to mention a huge plot detail. Uh, Ray Sharkey actually gets put into this hospital as an orderly to try to make the girl remember so they can find the files and then eh, get her out of there. So, uh, And there's also this place called Hellhole, which is where all the you know, kind of patients that are acting out, they uh, get tested this new kind of um, liquid lobotomy or chemical lobotomy on them and uh, right to their head. And then they usually go nuts and they just throw them in the basement of this place. So there are a bunch of crazy women in here, you know, house of screaming women, if you will. So that's kind of the plot of this movie, of course, and all things are going to come to a head with all these kind of sleazy pieces of crap, all, you know, kind of trying to make sure that everything comes out uh, for them. Right. Um, gets ridiculous gets insane at the end very entertaining movie very sleazy very goofy very 80s even though i do feel like it feels like it should have been made in the 70s by visually it looks very 80s the colors the lighting um the boiler room looks excellent so they lit this really well it has lots of weird kind of you know blues and red oranges i'll say i like how it looks i thought it was lit very well it's very enjoyable even it's just sleaze-tastic that's, that's the best word for it. There's a five-minute interview with Mary Warnoff, which is absolutely nice. And she makes fun of them making her like a lesbian in there. She's like, I hated doing it. If they're going to do it, just full go with it. You know, and this like, like you know, putting it a, a little bit on here and there is just, you know, why? But uh, entertaining movie. Um, looks pretty good. There is some damage uh, stuff to some of the scenes, so they add in different uh, negatives or whatever. It's a little distracting, but not too much, really. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I watched it. Uh, <laughs> Kind of a, a new discovery from 85 for me, but good stuff. Hellhole. Not to be confused with the other one, Escape from Hellhole, which Trummel put out. 
Your worst nightmare is a fantasy come true for the doctors of Hellhole. You don't want to mess with them. Hellhole? Yes. And once they take you to Hellhole, you don't never come back. What's Hellhole? Susan, it's very important that you don't ever mention that again. <laughs> well, what is it, damn it? <laughs> We put you here, and we'll keep you here until you die. It's up with your pleasure. It's up with your fun. The mud bath with two brothers is better than one. <laughs> Captives stripped naked. Yeah, what about her? I have special plans for this one. Forced to submit to the ultimate experiment. But if we keep it under control, Maybe we won't have any more failures. Hellhole. When you're taken here, everything is taken from you. Body. Oh, goody. And mind. Be glad you're only watching it and not living it. Hellhole. Pray they don't succeed. Hellhole. Okay, we're going to be pretty quick with the next ones. Man, this is Teen Wolf. But I'm going to say this. Look at this. Like, the case is messed up. I don't know. I didn't notice it when I bought it. But I feel like a lot of the Scream Factory stuff, it looks like somebody took a, a blade and cut it. My cases are always messed up when I get Scream Factory stuff. But this is from 85 as well. And this is Teen Wolf starring Michael J. Fox. Came out the same year as Back to the Future. Uh... I'm going to be honest with you, I, I've seen Teen Wolf a couple times, but I didn't remember all that much. This is going to be a quickie kind of review. It's definitely a comedy horror film. It's definitely comedy before horror, and it definitely fits that kind of, I don't want to say sex comedy, because it's not really that. It's more of a sports, you know, it's funny as there's comparisons with this and a hot dog. We have, you know, uh, sports and comedy and like a little bit of like sex or, or romance elements, even though hot dog's really sleazy. But um, we have Michael J. Fox, who's a good-hearted kid. He works on, he's on the basketball team works part-time for his father and uh of course he discovers he's a werewolf uh and this starts to happen with his you know puberty and stuff like that when he hits a certain age and uh they discover it, and he realizes he is an excellent basketball player when he's a werewolf. So uh, the moment he transforms into a werewolf is is brilliant. Like everybody stops and they're just staring off into the distance, and the ref doesn't even the ref barely blinks. The ref's just like, all right, <laughs> it just keeps going. Cracked me up. Uh, Mark Holton's also in this movie from the Leprechaun, uh, from Leprechaun the original and Leprechaun Returns. He plays on the basketball team with Michael J. Fox. There's uh, some other zany characters in this movie. I can't register uh, very many of their names off the top of my head the guy who plays uh michael j fox's dad is absolutely great in here as well he's very funny and uh i, I know this movie's been seen a million times so when he t i'm gonna spoil something when he's also a werewolf when he turns into a werewolf and he's standing there like son i know it's just a, a father the son talk when they're both when he's a werewolf uh they're both werewolves i just absolutely love it um the father is probably the highlight of the movie for me 
Um, but, you know, of course, when he starts to turn into a werewolf, he starts to, you know, lose his touch with his old self, his friends, you know, the girl who likes him. That's very typical in these movies. Like, he has his eyes on the hot girl, but his, like, neighborhood best friends always liked him. That always happens in these movies. If there's boy or girl, that's just a very typical thing. But... So so we have that going on, and, you know, when he starts to turn into the werewolf, you know, that's what everybody wants, the wolf, but he's starting to lose who, who he is, but he takes a big decision to play the, the last basketball game for the championship against the guy he doesn't like, who's dating a girl that he does like a, as himself, but can they overcome, you know, in true, uh, you know, form, and, and w- a true championship form and win as, as themselves without the teen wolf? That's kind of like an inspirational kind of 80s teen comedy sports movie, with a twist because he's a freaking werewolf. Um, this is the bare bones disc I have. It only has the first, it only has the two movies on there, Team Wolf 1 and Team Wolf 2, which I'm not sure if I've ever seen the sequel. No special features. Michael J. Fox is really good, really likable, really unique too. There's not many guys like Michael J. Fox, I don't think, for the time or ever really. Um, you know, Before this, I think he was uh, the only movie I could think of him in his class in 1984 where he's a little bit chubby. But uh, yeah, good movie, entertaining, of course, a classic. Um, looks pretty good, sounds good. Uh, looks a little bit, you know, darker than I would expect, but I think the movie is probably a little bit before Back to the Future, so before he's a star, it's probably a little bit of a budget kind of affair, so I I might uh, double dip and buy the collector's edition. I know there's a lot of features on that eventually, but I won't probably be buying Team Wolf 2 collector's edition, so yeah, that's Team Wolf. For Michael J. Fox, life hasn't been easy. Hello? Hi. I'm going through changes. His voice is changing. Give me a keg of beer. Is there anything wrong with me? He's got hair on his chest. He stopped being a boy. What do you think about to get worked up? At last, he's become... Scott? A wolf. An explanation is probably long overdue. Dad, an explanation? Look at me. Look at you. He's always wanted to be something special, but he never expected this. Teen Wolf. He's got style. There's something different about you. Did you change your hair? He's got class. Wolf prison. He's got hair all over his body. Wolves aren't supposed to be shy. He's a wolf in teens' clothing. And tonight is his night to howl. Teen Wolf, a new comedy with Michael J. Fox, star of Back to the Future. Okay, these next couple are going to be fairly short. This is one from 85. This is an Italian movie, and this is Nothing Underneath. This movie has multiple titles, so um, this is an import disc. 
and uh, it is region B, I believe, or not B, uh, you know, region two, because it's a DVD. And uh, this stars the lovely Donald Pleasance, the second uh, 80s horror, 85 horror movie he's in um, that I could think of. But Donald Pleasance is tremendous in the movie, so that's pretty much the highlight for me. We have uh, it's a brother and sister, they're twins, and uh, I think they're twins. They have a psychic bond, so you kind of get that. One works as a park ranger, and one's overseas. I think it, it would be Italy as a model. So uh, one day there's some weird thing where he has a psychic link to her where he thinks she's been murdered. So he drives all the way to Italy, tells everyone about it. My sister's been murdered. My sister's been murdered. Donald Pleasance, like I said, highlight of the movie. He, he's playing an Italian guy in here. Tells him there's no way your daughter, you know, his sister's been murdered. It doesn't make any sense. But he ends up humoring him a little bit, and they go out for a delicious meal at Wendy's, which I thought was great seeing Donald Pleasance eat a Wendy's salad. But in Italy weird. That's back when they had the salad bar, guys. So, uh, anyways, uh, they start to dig deeper. People start to get murdered, and uh, he starts kind of a relationship with one of the girls, and it, it unfolds. A couple people are murdered, and you realize what happened. There's one of these crazy stories that happened back in the day why the people are being murdered, and you start to think who the murderer is, but there's going to be a couple twists here and there. The kills are decent. Um, it, overall, it's alright. It's kind of a, a, a little above average uh, uh, giallo kind of mystery movie. Donald Pleasance is a highlight. The very last scene is also a highlight and done very artistically. I enjoy it. Um, it's very Italian in the sense that it's like high art kind of fashion deal and murder all mixed into one. So um, I ended up liking it to a, a certain extent. Um, I, I believe there is a decent amount of nudity in here as well. I can't re register everything. I Like I said, I watch 15 movies in, a, in like six, seven days sometimes. So you get a little burnt out. But I do remember being a little bit more on the positive side. I thought it was shot fairly decent. The DVD looks okay. It is in widescreen. It's not particularly great, um, but it looks solid enough. I'd like to see a blue. There is a Blu-ray. It's like a digi box. Very expensive. Probably won't be picking that up. Maybe I'll wait for somebody to release it stateside or um, 88 films or somebody like that. But I do think it's worth checking out, especially if you're big into the Italian horror films. I think if this was cleaned up, it would go a little bit further, to be honest. You know, I think it would. But that is nothing underneath. It has a couple titles, but um, Model Murder is what it calls there, which is kind of or uh, yeah, a model. I don't. I think it's model murder. But um, anyways, I do think it's worth uh, checking out. I don't remember as much as I should to be honest, but I remember liking it to a, to a certain extent. There's also a lot of you know like cokehead asshole guy in here. There's just real a lot of him. He's a douche, very annoying. But you know, I, I would recommend checking it out. The twist is decent enough. I, I did not necessarily see it coming. You know, I guessed a couple things, but then when it, it it's one of these things where the one's very obvious, so it can't be that. So you start to think it can't be that, can it? It can't be that, can it? And then it's like, oh, it's not. Okay, but uh, check it out. time I saw her was Christmas two years ago. She's getting more and more beautiful, but uh, different. You know, like she was changing. Was there a guy, uh, an ex maybe, might have been mad at her? Well, what kind of life did she have? Who did she hang around with? Can you tell me anything? Model. Face, body, a beautiful dress, and nothing underneath. Hold your 
Jessica in Italy. She's in Milan. Tell her not to open the door. Jessica Crane's brother. She, she's a model, and I, I think she may have been murdered. Also going to be very quick on this one. This is 1985's Hard Rock Zombies. I have a poster of this movie. I love the poster. Um, as for the movie, not so much. I've seen this before. It's been a long time. Um, the director, I believe, is a foreign person. I, I, I think they're Indian, possibly. Because um, it definitely, I, I looked up the name, and it, it definitely felt like that. I should have done a little bit more research. But it has that kind of same element as something like Halloween Night, a.k.a. Hack-A-Lantern, or Open House. That's the same director, Jag, Jake. Um, where it's like, it's an American movie. It takes place in America. It's trying to be very American, but it's just off. Kind of like a lot of Italian movies, like absurd, where they're like, we're having a nice spaghetti dinner at the Super Bowl. It's like, what the f- what? So it feels like that to a certain extent. We have this rock band that's going to play in this small town. They want to play for this producer who's coming through to kind of blow his socks off to get a great record deal. There's like four in the band and they have a producer or manager. So they're going to go to the small town. The small town doesn't want them there. They're assholes. They're jerks. And this young girl warns them, don't go there. I saw a premonition and uh, it's not going to end well for you guys. They ignore it, of course. And, um, they go to the small town. They end up staying with this family of weirdos led by Adolf Hitler. I'm not making this up. And his werewolf wife, his werewolf granny, um, their weird kind of, you know, nympho killer daughter and uh, her husband or son, the weird voyeur photographer, and their two um, dwarf or, or small people kind of uh, grandkids or whatever. One played by Phil Fondacaro, the other played by a guy in this giant weird mask that's eyes don't move. So, um, <laughs> I can't make this shit up. So, um, it, it looks like a hair metal band, but they're not really a hair metal band. They play a lot of kind of like pop music, and they play a song for the girl who had the premonition that's in love with the lead singer uh, called Christy. Christy's the best part about the whole movie. The song is actually kind of catchy, and it gets stuck in your head. Maybe I'll play it here. I actually enjoy the song. I'm not going to lie. At, at first, I was like, why are they playing this? And then I was like, that don't look like that kind of music. But it got stuck in my freaking head, and I kind of enjoyed it. So, there we go. Um, the editing's really terrible, especially during the first murder scenes, because of course the band gets killed. It's called Hard Rock Zombies, and they are brought back to life. She brings them back to life, and they enact revenge, turning out of the town and the zombies. Then all chaos erupts, and her life's at stake because she's a virgin. And for some reason, the zombies want to have sex with the virgin, they go back to the dead. I don't make the rules. I don't know who made these rules, but it is what it is. So essentially, like the editing's really poor. Like there'll be like these kill scenes, and they'll cut to the girl dancing, and I'm like, come on. And it's just like, did you not have enough coverage or, or what's going on here? There is a little bit of nudity sprinkled 
in with her, which is appreciated. Um, but a lot of the acting is pretty poor for the most part. Um, and I think that maybe if this was on Blu-ray and looking a little better, it would be a little bit better. But the editing is so jarring and weird at times. And it is a really goofy movie. And some people will eat it up and love it and think it's funny. It just doesn't really work for me. I don't think it's very funny. I don't particularly care for it, to be honest. But at times, it has a certain charm that I wish I liked it. Does that make any sense? It, it's like, um, it's flirting with that line. Like, that line, like, Spooky's manages to cross over that line, and I love it. Well, this one's, like, back and forth, back and forth, and it ends up just falling kind of on the side where I don't care for it. Like I said, um... And I, I like I like Halloween night too, but I don't like open house. So it's a really fine line of completely stupid and completely stupid and fun. And this one is just a little too stupid for me. Um, uh, the zombies move around ridiculously. A lot of the kills I wish were better. Every once in a while they'll have a nice gore gag in here. I wish, like I said, it looked better because this DVD looks like crap and I can't see a lot of the stuff going on. So maybe if it was cleaned up I could appreciate it a little bit more. And the idea that Adolf Hitler and a werewolf grandma and these weird zombies, it's like, it's, I should love this, man. It has all these elements of weird, stupid shit that should just be great. And it's not. It's also a heavy metal horror movie, technically, even though they don't sing any real heavy metal. But I just wish I liked it more uh, and I wish that some of the kills and the gore and stuff was done a little bit better I know Carl Buchler uh, worked on this it's got to be one of his first uh, gigs and everything like that and I'm sure the budget was min uh, minuscule on it but uh, you know the small town uh, stuff is kind of funny at times too but it's just I feel like it's not completed I feel like there's stuff missing but that's hard rock zombies uh, it's up to you um, yeah I wanna hold your hand Let's run it on and baby go for a ride 
zombies. Okay, the last 85 one, uh, it's going to be brief because I already covered this in like the week 16. So if you're, you want to check it out, go ahead. But I watched the, the Creepers version of Phenomenon on this Synapse disc. I actually do have the Steelbook too. Maybe I'll show that. Um, but yeah, Phenomenon 85, Dario Argento Classic. It's going to be brief because I watched the Creepers version, which is like the 84-minute version. There's three versions of this movie. One is damn near two hours. It's like, what, 116? One's like, um, there's three versions. Like I said, the internet. National, the, the extended, which has all the stuff in there. That one's super long, almost two hours. And there's one like four minutes shorter than that, which is like the one that's mostly known on DVD. And then there's the Creepers version, which is the shortest one, which is 83 minutes. Putting this in, I had seen Phenomenon a bunch of times. So I felt like I could follow it without the entire story. This is a crazy, crazy story. Jennifer Connelly stars in it. She's going to, um, I can't think of the country. Is it Germany or something like that? Austria? They're always a different country uh, for all these Italian horror films. So essentially what happens here maybe it's germany um and she's going to a, this a special school her father is a famous actor uh, who's off to on set and his agent is is very busy too so she moves in and she realizes there's these strange murders going on uh, almost immediately um, so she, she wants to get back home. She can't get a hold of anyone. She ends up befriending this kind of, uh, a bug expert played by Donald Pleasance, uh, who's in a wheelchair and he's a Scottish guy. He has a helper monkey with him, a chimpanzee. Um, I can't think of the chimpanzee's name, but, uh, regardless, uh, she starts to talk to the doctor and they both have lost a friend to this mad killer. And she has this weird psychic link with insects. So he decides to use Jennifer Conley to talk to the insects and use this. This, uh, great sarcophagus uh, fly that only feeds on human flesh to find where these killings are happening. And most of these killings are happening kind of in isolated mountain area um, and the wind is horrifying in this one. Earlier I talked about even the wind is afraid and uh, I think this is one of the, my favorite uses of wind in a horror film of all time. The wind feels like it brings the killer's presence. And uh, when you find out what is happening it is insane. It is absolutely bonkers. Daria Nicolodi is also in it. Um, she She's really good in it, even though in this uh, 80, uh, 84-minute version, she has a very, very tiny role. But uh, Jennifer Connelly's top-notch in it. Love her in the movie. It was before The Labyrinth. Uh, I love the weird psychic link with the insects. You know, it's kind of like Carrie, kind of not, you know, kind of deal. But uh, there's lots of weird things. I noticed a couple of the scenes I did miss with some of the gore, you know, the finger coming off with the handcuffs and, and some of the extended, you know, the weird weapon the killer uses was cut a little shorter. Um, but this movie is so bonkers in an 84 minutes it just flies by um the soundtrack is great like i said with demons uh which dario produced they have that metal stuff and that's in here too and like i said i'm very rare do i love metal in movies but i feel like um the italian stuff works for me and this one definitely works for me i love the music um it, it plays well with the wind the cinematography the acting i love donald pleasant's relationship with the chimpanzee and i felt this time around um i i, I the last time i watched it i was like Eh, I thought Donald Pleasance was good, but not great. This time I loved him in it. I thought he was great in it. So I don't know what that says. Maybe the shorter version makes you the heart grow fonder of him. I don't know, but love Donald. He's one of my favorite actors anyways. But regardless, um, the twist and turns in this movie and the ending is very Friday the 13th on crack or on meth. Um, it's just insane. And again, it has that great Dario thing where we have that um, violence uh, creates more violence or a killer can create another killer. 
or the offspring of a killer stuff like that going on which I love which he uses in the bird with the crystal plumage and even I believe uh, cat on uh, four fries on gray velvet so we got all those elements going on synapse did a great job um, uh, this time around I watching it I thought it looked tremendous last time I, I was not super happy with it but this time I was like what was I complaining about it looks great sounds great um, I, I've watched all three versions now um, there's some things I do miss so I probably watch the extended cut or the super long cut next time but one of the better movies of 85 for sure one of my favorites I'm a, I'm a sucker for this time period of Italian horror films but highly recommended if you do get this disc there's three versions of the movie on there which is tremendous and there's the world of horror with Dario Argento which is a great documentary so definitely well worth your time that's phenomenon great movie Jennifer is the new girl in a strange school. She's taunted by her classmates, haunted by a deadly secret. Is she insane? Well, she's not normal. And caught up in a murderous wave of terror. When the murderer hides his victims, he likes to keep in physical contact with them. But Jennifer's got a few million close friends. Insects never hurt me. I love all insects. They're in a position to do extraordinary things. And she's going to need every one of them. Creepers. That fly is your magic wand. Ask him to lead you where the dead bodies are hidden, and he'll lead you. I'm one of the most acclaimed masters of suspense. Comes the chilling tale of a young girl trapped in a web of evil. Dario Argento's Creepers. It will make your skin crawl. Hey guys, what's up? It is week 39 of Hammer Time, and we're here to review Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, directed by Roy Ward Baker. This is the second and the last of the Dr. Jekyll stories that Hammer told, the first being The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll, which what came out in like the early 60s, maybe 1960 even. This one's 11 years later, so uh, yeah, it's been quite some time. Completely unrelated, really, but uh, this has stars Ralph Bates. And uh, who else? That's pretty much it for me that I recognize. Ralph Bates. There's a girl. In oh, uh, Beswick from uh, One Million Years BC mm -hmm. as well. So she plays like the dark-haired uh, second kind of leading woman in that one. You say that this was the second? Yeah, there. Yeah, there was a Doctor Two Faces of Doctor Jekyll member with Oliver Reed. 
Did we watch that one? Yeah. What? 1960-61. It was early on. Was it black and white or was it... No, it was color. It was color. It was before Curse of the Werewolf? Man, I don't remember. Around the same time. See? That's the problem. And you wanted to to rank every single one of them. Oh, it was... um, Yeah. He wasn't Jack Lauder Hyde. He was like one of the guys that... um, Yeah, Oliver Reed was one of the guys that actually got... um, He was just a drunk in the bar. Yeah. Like a young kid. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the cool thing about Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde is it, it's like a darkly comedic deal. It has uh, Ralph Bates as a scientist that wants to cure all disease. His friend tells him, by that time you'll be dead. You won't be able to cure anything. So he starts to try to, uh, you know, elongate his life. You know, and I don't remember the exact, the original Dr. Jekyll story, why he was trying to do it. I think it was maybe trying to reverse the aging process or something like that. It's been a long time since I read that story. So he uh, basically starts to do this uh, research where he wants to elongate life, and he it works on a fly, but it changes the sex of the fly in a scene that actually doesn't make any <laughs> sense because the fly lays eggs, which would assume that it was it was isolated by itself, and if you change the gender or something, it automatically doesn't make it pregnant unless it somehow made it asexual as well, which they don't address at all. So it's really weird. But of course, Dr. Jekyll, being an idiot like he is, decides to take the serum before he has it perfected, and voila, he is jumping back and forth between man and woman, Mm -hmm. and uh, he disguises the woman as his sister, who starts to overtake his own personality, and his sister is involved in a relationship with a man upstairs, and while Dr. Jekyll is in a relationship with that man's sister, they both live upstairs with their um, mother. So it's like a boarding house deal. It becomes very complicated and pretty situational funny. Um, the brilliance of this one is that somehow they mixed the Burke and Hare storyline in here, which actually mm-hmm. took place in, what did we figure this? Um, we, we did the timeline that the Frankenstein was written in 1818, originally published, and then the second pressing was 1826 with Mary Shelley's name on it. In 1828, we had the Burke and Hare story. And then in 1866, we had the Whitechapel murders or the Dr. Jekyll story. And then in 66, we had, in 68, we had the Whitechapel murders. Around the same time where the uh, Dr. Jekyll sister had and the Jack the Ripper slash Whitechapel right. murders. This takes place in Whitechapel. So it somehow kind of mixes the, the latter three, Burke and Hare, Jack the Ripper and Dr. Jekyll. The latter two, which are always kind of thrown together in movies. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to see them do that with Burke and Hare in here because they do the uh, Burke and Hare getting them bodies, which is, you know, who Burke and right. Hare are. Like Burke and Hare, I always associate like for more Frankenstein story. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and I always, and I, I, I never read um, Jacqueline and Hyde. I have years, about, years ago. Uh, like I always combined like Jack the Ripper and Jacqueline and Hyde because it, it just seemed to... Well, Makes sense. They go hand in hand. From Hell did that as well. So, mm-hmm. so there are some weird kind of stories where they take Doctor Jekyll, like they do in Time After Time, and they mix it with H.G. Wells chasing him through yeah. time. And and then, like I said, I never watched From Hell, but that's my understanding. But uh, they seem to all be kind of thrown in together, which is weird because uh, Burke and Hare was like sixty years before this. Mm-hmm. But I, I, it was a kind of a really nice touch to incorporate them into this story because a couple weeks ago I just watched uh, Doctor and the Devils, which I loved. So it was really nice to see them in a Hammer movie, to be honest, because they yeah. really weren't. <laughs> I don't think. Besides that, there there was similar uh, Burke and Hare characters in some of the Frankenstein stories and even in um, 
Jeez, what is the one? Uh, a couple of the stories I remember getting yeah. bodies and everything. But they never said that they were Birkin hair. It was just two these grave were, diggers. Yeah, these were definitely yeah, Birkin were Birkin hair, which was really cool to see. Uh, I, I like the idea here that um, the female part starts to take him over. I think mm-hmm. it's interesting. I think it's fun, and I think that um, you know, it, it's a nice little like I don't I don't know how to put it. It's just kind of twisted and perverse for oh, the time. For for you know people nowadays, it's nothing. Or it probably would be considered offensive in the opposite way. There, there's a scene where um, the brother is confronting Doctor Jekyll, and he's like asking about his sister and like what she was doing. And Dr. Jack was like, oh, but I'm right here, George. And he, like, reaches out to, like, grab his face, but he's a man. It's like, what? And they do fun things where they do, they'll do some mirror gags mm-hmm. and wonders that are cool. And you're not sure how they did it or where the cut was. The, the, the hand always transforms first. So, mm-hmm. like, right when he first transforms into a woman, the first thing he does is strip down in front of the mirror. Right. Uh, so it's, it's a little sleazy. Um, I think Roy Ward Baker is one of the underrated Hammer guys. People always say Terrence Fisher, Terrence Fisher, and he's great for a reason, but, mm-hmm. I mean, Roy Ward Baker did a bunch of good stuff, and I think it's all pretty solid. Um, well, there's some other aspects. Like I said, um, Dr. Jekyll's pretty much Jack the Ripper. He needs that. He needs uh, um, something from the woman's brain, a young woman's brain, to kind of, uh, whatever, get the serum. So he, he's constantly kind of wanting that, that. That presence inside of him wants to take it over. It's not the brain. He needs something from the... Oh, yeah, because... uh, Yeah, 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 I I don't know, because there's a second doctor in this, um, and he's kind of, like, working with Dr. Jekyll. Not working with them, but, you know, they're, like, friends, and so they they talk about their their, um, research and yada, yada. Um, And there's a third man in here that's kind of like a mortician, and he sells the doctors the bodies. Um, He's also the one that introduces... Dr. Jekyll to Burke and Hare. And he's a pervert. He's a pervert, but, he, you know... As all coroners are. Right. You know, so when, like, the doctors come to visit, he's like, oh, you, you know, if you want to be alone with the body for ten minutes, I'll just be outside. <laughs> well, um, he notices first that, like, all that Dr. Jekyll is interested in is, like, looking at the lower part and leaves the upper parts relatively And then they can turn around and sell the rest of the body. Yes. So, so that eventually turns into like, oh, every time that there's a Whitechapel murder, the only thing that's missing is the... Yeah. So, like, uh, it also reminds me, like I said, Rejuvenator or Reanimator. Reanimator, which is a Frankenstein story in itself, mm. but Rejuvenator, where the woman needs the piece of the brain to remain young. This one needs the um, thing to remain a woman. So right. There's, there's all that going for it. I actually really like this one. I think that it's well acted. The set design's good. And the ending is similar to Curse of the Werewolf. Um, or Hunchback from Notre Dame. Oh, similar. yeah. Okay. And that's kind of a classic way for a um, movie like this to end. Yeah. But I do like the little thing at the end that everyone realizes what's happening. Mm. And you know that family would be scarred for life. Oh, They'd absolutely. Like, what? Um, I actually like the mother of the the brother and sister because mm-hmm. she's like really um i guess a slightly waspy she yeah, might, yeah. She, she's yeah. Like, no that's none of your business mm-hmm. but i really like her in it uh also one of the police detectives is really funny the, he's great he would be the constable i guess is that what they call him back yeah then? I don't they got know. the chin strap yeah he has yeah. like he, he kind of reminds me of uncle wes from dead alive oh he looks I could see that. except yeah. not a perverted weirdo right with um some stds <laughs> um yeah, I enjoyed this one. I dig it. I'd probably go... Where would you go on this one? I'd go seven and a half out of ten. I'd go three and a half or four yeah, out of five. Same. 
Yeah. That's why I go seven and a half. It's pretty good. It's um it's it's got great effects. I do like the mirror shots, um like like when they break the mirror and so you see the girl's reflection. And then I feel like the um Bates is standing behind the broken mirror, so you see like you know, the parts of the girl's face and then Bates face in the middle, it's kinda like yeah. Like, there's some really neat effects in it that are really cool to see. And I, I like the... Um, Duality is always cool in here. I like the other Doctor. Yeah. I thought he was a really fun character. And he almost did something that was super sleazy. Oh, was yeah. Me, but he actually was doing doing it for a reason, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. Unlike yeah. the piece of shit who was in Lust for a Vampire. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, next week is Blood from the Mummy's Tomb or of the Mummy's Tomb. It's the final Hammer Mummy movie. Oh, also yeah. unrelated to any of the other previous Hammer Mummy movies. And I think it's based on the actual book. Maybe the Bram Stoker book. I'm going to read from John Stanley's Creature Features here. Um, and he has Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, 1972. Uh, three out of five. Bizarre variation on the Jekyll Hyde theme. Instead of a good man metamorphosing into a bad man, a good man metamorphoses into a bad woman. This turnabout is considered fair play in Brian Clemens' script. Ralph Bates is the doctor. Martine Beswick, his counterpart. Directed by Roy Ward Baker, HBO Republic Pictures. So, and you got, show the book. James O'Neill, Tear on Tape. Tear on Tape. Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, three stars. Nope. Is it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. No. What is that? Oh, my bad. I've seen all the other thousands of Dr. <laughs> yeah, Jekyll. Yeah, they're all over this And that's page. out of four, though. Three out of four. So, Dr. Jekyll, experiments in increasing... PG. Is it really PG? That right, it probably was. Oh. There was nudity in it. Must be the unrated. Yeah, that was. Seen. Okay, so Dr. Jekyll's experiments in increasing human longevity result in his taking a formula derived from female hormones and transforming into seductive but sinister Sister Hyde. Sounds dumb, but a Tom Bryant Clemens script, atmospheric Baker direction, and fine performances, Bates and Beswick, really do resemble each other, adding to the effect, make this one of Hammer Film's most fun later efforts. Which, I would agree, it is a really fun I typically agree with more James O'Neill than John Stanley. This is James O'Neill? Yeah. I think Stanley, though, is more fair on science fiction than he is horror movies Mm -hmm. compared to James O'Neill. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, next week is Blood from the Mummy's Tomb. Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, Last Mummy. Thank God, because I can't stand a mummy. And then, when do we hit next? I think we hit Hands of the Ripper, Demons of the Mind. And then I can't, then maybe a Dracula. A couple we, of Draculas. In. We got so like three two. Draculas left. Three Draculas? One Karstein trilogy. Twins of Evil's coming up too. Yeah. So, no, it's Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, Twins of Evil, Demons of the Mind. Yeah. So we only got like eight weeks? Twelve left? movies. Oh, really? Twelve? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're at week 40 this for next week, I think. So we got like maybe 13. I figured but, we'd be done with this by now. I can't. I'm not doing this next year. Yeah, I'm you are. Done. You no. already made your list. No, you're just watching Tarantula every day for a year and reviewing it every not day. Not watching Tarantula. We're out of here. Bye. See you guys. Bye. <laughs> Everyone knows there are two sides to the infamous Dr. Jekyll. By day, the man. By night, the monster. Put a woman in your life. A good woman. And one day you'll wake up and you'll see a changed man. Now, Hammer believe you too are ready for a change. An absolutely complete change. This is the testament of Dr. Henry Jekyll. Male. Male.
male. It's Hyde, isn't it? How is your brother? He hasn't been himself of late. This is the new Dr. Jekyll, the most evil woman you'll ever see. This is the sensuous Sister Hyde, the most evil man you'll ever meet. Stay away from her. She means you great harm. Why? I just feel it, that's all. Dr. Jekyll, Sister Hyde, man or woman, or both. In this film, you will actually see the sinister Dr. Jekyll change in mind and body into the totally evil Sister Hyde. It is I who exist, Dr. Jekyll, not you. It is I who will be rid of you. Rid of you! Rid of you! Hammer invites you to share the agony of a man whose body is possessed by a strange passion to murder and beyond. They must be female, no more than 20 years old. There will be a different kind of victim tonight. And then the tug of war will be ended between us. Fascinating situation, don't you think? It'll be interesting to see who wins. Okay, guys, let's get these questions out of the way. Uh, Tim Hayes, are you Italian at all? You did a cool Italian accent earlier in your video somewhere, either during the start of the Demons review or during a Giallo review. No, I'm just an asshole. Hey, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm not Italian, but I did play one in a movie once. Rip. Uh, no, no, I do get that a lot, though. People think I'm Greek or Italian or Jewish or, you know, um, um, sometimes Mediterranean of some sort, but, um, you know, I'm just a mutt. Then we have Nick Mua. Would you agree that many recent trailers tend to give the game away? Um, I do think the trailers, a lot of trailers back in the day used to give it away. So, it, but today I don't watch them for a reason. So maybe you're on to something there. I try to avoid them, uh, especially that Invisible Man trailer. First and foremost, I'm not sure if I want to see it because I'm not sure if I want to see the Universal Monsters done like that. So I'm being a little baby about that. Then when I watched the trailer, I was like, now I don't need to see it because you showed all the characters and then you show what happened to every character. So thanks. Thanks for the free movie. Um, Nick Mua, uh, another question. If you were being chased by zombies who demanded you sing for them all night, would you be tempted to take shelter in a nearby old dark mansion knowing it's haunted or the former home of a crazed killer? See, now you're you're making fun of two things I said before, that I'm an awful singer and that I always laugh at people who take a shelter in these dark, weird, creepy mansions. So um, I guess that uh, if I was running from zombies, I would take shelter in an outhouse anywhere I could get, okay? But I would not want to be somewhere where I was barricaded and couldn't get away, you know. Night of the Living Dead argument. As you reviewed Nightmare 2, would you watch the documentary Scream Queen by Nightmare on Elm Street? About Nightmare on Elm Street, my Nightmare on Elm Street? I, I probably would. Um, it's not on my top list to watch, to be honest. I mean, I don't know how deep you can go with that subject. I've seen little featurettes on it, and I'm like, yeah, I got it. I understand. I just don't know how that can be stretched out into a feature. Um, but 
uh, I'm interested somewhat. Uh, Dan, the cameraman, another great video. Dave, a couple questions for you. How do you organize your collection, alpha, uh, collection alphabetically, genre, studio? Um, I do uh, studio usually and then alphabetically and sometimes studio and then when they were released. Or sometimes studio and then the deluxe editions and the regular editions. And then for some catalog titles, I will just go alphabetical order. Like Warner Brothers, MGM, alphabetical order. So, yeah. And uh, for the DVDs, I keep um, them separated, kind of horror cult stuff um, and uh, everything else. And then for the Blu-rays, I keep them all together in alphabetical if they're not a big company. Um, What's a film you would love to see get a 4K release that isn't currently planned? Day of the Dead. But anything Italian, to be honest, any Italian horror movie would always do it. So, and then we have uh, answers. I asked what your favorite horror movie taglines were, and for you to make up one for your favorite movie. Most of the time, people just sent me their favorites. <coughs> so, Morris Holman. Hi, Dave. I have many favorite taglines, but I have to say that My Bloody Valentine from either the theatrical poster are great for, from either. Uh, the Green Tunnel poster has the line "Harry's out to steal your heart." Then the close-up gas mask poster has the line, there's more than one way to lose a, your heart. Uh, both both great. Great movie, too. Here's my spin on a tagline. Make sure he doesn't pick you, because uh, Harry's a real heartbreaker. That's uh, And then my bloody Valentine, don't be his. Those are, those are pretty good. Thanks, uh, Morris, uh, a.k.a. Monster Movie Man 13. Nick Mua, favorite taglines. There's an enchantment in the light, the lighthouse. Man is the dan- most dangerous animal, tusk. Breaking the law to uphold justice, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. This time, staying awake won't save you. Wes Craven's new nightmare. The man of your dreams is back. Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. I have indeed made up a tagline or two for films I love. You'll have to be the judge and jury whether they are any good. The name of the rose. Looking for reason in a time of blind faith. Paper House. Um... Directed by Bernard Bernard Rose of Candyman fame. I'm well aware of that movie. I think I actually covered it before. The drawing shaped the dream. The dream shaped reality. Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. Sorry about that. Excellent 2017 medieval action movie featuring John Bernthal and Tom Holland. True faith is paid for in blood. And I know you dislike the... Okay. True faith is played in blood. Paid for in blood. And then he says, And I know you dislike the falling flick day, but I find it a hoot. Eli Ross, The Green Inferno. Slacktivist get served. Hate it. Oh, I hate that movie. Sorry. Um, Paul Weichel, for a made-up tagline, I kind of wish that the 1983 movie Sledgehammer would have used the tagline, The Mad, The Myth, The Sledgen. Just because it sounds absolutely stupid. Have a good one. Mr. Tony of the Dead, When There's No More Room in Hell, The Devil Walked the Earth, of course, Dawn of the Dead. Michael Sinat, um, A Terrifying Tale of Sluts and Bolts, Frankenhooker. Jamal Potter, in space, no one can hear you scream, is easily one of the best poster taglines of all time. The Dean Harris for Torso, where whores meet saws. <laughs> now, the funny thing is, I can't remember if that's the real tagline or not. It can't be, is it? Remind me. Um, uh, Jarno uh, Harninen, who will survive and what will be left of them? Of course, Texas Chainsaw. Lee Bishop, the good news is your dates are here. The bad news is they're dead, Night of the Creeps. Um, James Howard, Pontypool, Shut Up or Die. Marco Vintinian for the fanatic. Moose does not have any time to talk. He got a poo. <laughs> Should have been the tagline. Joseph L. Zembergian, Lady Terminator. First she mates, then she terminates. Uh, Aaron Fram, Death Spa, you'll sweat blood. Jeremy R., he made this one up. Nightmare Before Christmas, keeping Hot Topic out of the red since 2002. And ain't that the truth. Uh, Justin Burning, the thing. Man is the warmest place to hide. Also, Black Christmas. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Joe Whittle, they wanted to see something different. 
but something different saw them first. The holes have eyes. Daniel Washhog, Washdog, sorry. House, ding dong, you're dead. Mike Mitchell, Jason X, Evil gets an upgrade. Casey Robertson, Phantasm, this one doesn't scare you. You're already dead. Jason Siegel, I trapped, um, trapped in time, surrounded by evil, low on gas. That's got to be Army of Darkness. And then he says, uh, they will make cemeteries their cathedrals and cities will be your tombs, demons. Herbert West has a good, he- very good head on his shoulders and another one in a dish on his desk, reanimator. Kaiser Sosa, it takes all kinds of critters to make farming Vincent's fritters. Motel Hell, one of my favorites. One of my favorite lines, I should say. Ned Christensen, this summer, the ball is back. And he says, I loved and hated this tagline for Phantasm. Universally phone that one in. Any non-Phantasm fans are thinking, what damn ball? I, I, yeah, honestly. Shane Glass, alligator. It lives 50 feet beneath the city. It's 36 feet long. It weighs 2,000 pounds, and it's about to break out. Great movie. And he also says, demons to some, angels to others. Hellraiser. If this doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Black Christmas. Step over the rope and abandon all hope. Is that waxwork? Herbert West has a good head on his shoulders. Another disc on the desk. Another on the... Yep, we did that one. The man who wrote it, the girl who sang it, and the monster who stole it. Phantom of Paradise. It's the most fun you'll have being scared. Ooh, is that is that Creepshow? Um, if this doesn't scare you, you're already dead. I don't remember that one. I know I heard it. It will take your breath away. All of it. That one too. Is that Shivers maybe? I don't, I can't think. One of those maybe Shivers. And Barbara Benson put a little tag will do you and she posted a little Dracula. Uh, Kevin Nicholson, once there were almost human. Shockwave, 1977. Scott uh, heard Liska, you'll never go in the water again. Jaws. Uh, And he says in space, no one can hear you scream. Tom Brunner, the boys and girls of Sigma Pi, some will live and some will die. That's got to be House on Sorority Row. Rakesh Brown, ah, yo, where's the love for Pinhead? Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. Classic movie. And then we have Dan the Cameraman. Oh, this is a question. Sorry. Okay, he's answering the question. Sorry about that. Sometimes I forget what the hell I'm doing here. He says, uh, for the question of the week, one of my favorite taglines for a horror film is from Zombie. We are going to eat you. Tells you everything you need to know. For a new tagline, my favorite horror film is Cannibal Holocaust. And my tagline would be, the horrors of man came to light in the jungle. Then we have some old answers uh, about um, the biggest argument you ever got into about horror. Spencer Gray, anytime people praise Rob Zombie. Tim Davis, is Jaws a horror film or not? And Matthew Hudson, I'm going to read this one. I know I'm too late for the episode, but I can't deny you this story, even though it's only a film argument tangibly. It was, I believe, 2007. I was on my way to see Sweeney Todd with a few friends of mine. I lived in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan at the time. We were in my car, but I wasn't driving. I don't know why I wasn't driving. It was an icy night, but I was perfectly comfortable driving in the ice, so who knows. Either way, my good friend was driving. We stopped to pick up my girlfriend at the time, as well as another friend, and into my car came a third person, somebody who would ask in an online form how to break up myself and the girl I was with at the time, as well as some choice insults about yours truly. As soon as I saw his face, I started to ruminate. There's a lot more history that fed in. There's a lot more history that fed into the conflict, but all you need to know is I was so angry when I saw him, I began to tremble. Probably to add levity to the moment, I mentioned how it was initially difficult to eat pasties, a traditional UP food, because of their similarity to meat pies featured in Sweeney Todd. And the guy in the back seat, whom I was internally fuming about, said he didn't like them either because he doesn't like gravy. My friend who was driving said, eat them with ketchup. The dude in the back responded, there's still gravy inside them. My friend who was driving said, no, there's not. Asshole said, yes, there is. Driver said, I've lived here my whole life. You're wrong. Side note, asshole was wrong. There is not gravy inside of a pasty. But the asshole doubled down and said, I don't like you. You can die in a fire. 
It was at that this point I jumped in the back seat and legit tried to kill this dude. I don't think I've ever been that angry in my entire life. The story continues, but to suffice it to say, I got in a legit fight due to a conversation about meat pies on the way to see Sweeney Todd. Damn shame, really. Not that I like the movie, really, but I love San Sanheim music. Sanheim, sorry. So that's a funny story. And then I guess we're going to do the question of the week, which is question of the week. What is your favorite 1985 horror film? It can also be horror adjacent if you can argue it's horror, like come and see or something like that. So I guess we're going to hop into the update. All right, let's get into this update. First up, we have the 4K of Dr. Sleep. This has a digital code and a Blu-ray in it too. And the director's cut, only on Blu-ray though. Um, I really enjoyed this one. Made my top 10 horror films of the year. I have not seen the director's cut yet. I will definitely be checking that out. So that is Dr. Sleep. Then we have The Nightingale, which is an excellent movie by Jennifer Kent, uh, who did The Babadook. Love this movie. Broke my heart. Excellent. This is a, what is this, Shout Factory release. Um, yeah, great stuff. I recommend checking this one out. Also made my top ten horror films, even though it's not really a horror film. I cheated a little bit. Then we got uh, one from Vinegar Syndrome. This came in finally. Hard Soap, Hard Soap. Yeah. And also Disco Lady. Let's see if these are inappropriate. I think they're okay on the back there. Got two movies. And we had some from the uh, Screen Archives sale of Code Red stuff. I guess they were dirt cheap. Never going out of print stuff. The Rain Killer was 10 bucks. Ray Sharkey, who is in Hellhole. Uh, yeah. And Michael Chicklets. Yeah, that's crazy. I guess this is being compared to a Giallo kind of style film. Not seen it. Scorpion releasing. Figured why not for 10 bucks. Then we got Silk, which I think is a, is a Corman picture. She bangs them, breaks them, and books them. Not seen this one. Looks entertaining. It's a Code Red release. Yeah. Then we got from 85 from uh, Retro Media, we got Biohazard by Fred Olin Ray. I guess this is a little creature flick. Uh, yeah. Can't wait to check that one out. Looks fun. Is that Aldo Ray in that? Who is that? No, I don't think it's Aldo Ray. It is Aldo Ray. I had no idea he was in it. I was like, he wouldn't be in that. And then I'm like, what am I talking about? Oh, he would be in that. And then we got uh, It Stains the Sand Red. Um, it was pretty cheap on, uh, you know, Amazon, so I picked it up. Not seen it. Um, I love zombie movies, so this is going to piss people off. The most original zombie movie since 28 Days Later quote. Uh, some people are like, it's not a zombie movie. All right, all right, we get it. But, uh, yeah. It looked interesting. I'm just waiting for the right price. I could have watched it streaming, but hey, why not? Love zombies, like I said. And then we got Return to, Return to Nukem High, Volume 2. Finally went down in price on uh, Amazon. It was like 13 bucks. Snatched it right up. Um, enjoyed this one. Reviewed it a while back. I think I liked the first one a little bit better, but both of them are entertaining. I'm a big Class of Nukem High fan, so why the hell not? And then last, but certainly not least, uh, we have uh, another one from 85. Had a super cheap on Amazon, like 10 bucks, Vampire Hunter D. I'm going to check this one out too. So yeah, the good, the bad, and the undead. Yeah, so let's hop back to the video, guys. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. Eh.